welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Liu. Join me for today are my co-hosts, Alex Wong and Blake Murphy. For today's show, we have Raptors props for this upcoming season, a discussion on OG Ananobi and Yaka Pirtle, what to expect for their upcoming seasons. And then we're going to go around the league with storylines happening uh, in the NBA. That's all going to be in hour two. But for hour one, Blake, you've prepared these props for us. So what do you have? We actually don't know what you have. So I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to, to see these live along with the listeners and the watchers. So for anyone who doesn't know, these aren't actually betting props. It's something that I did with J.D. and Ailish when I was on the morning show. It's something I did with uh, J.D. and Ben Ennis when I was on drive time. You can do it for Jays, Raptors, Leafs, whatever. This is just me making them up. And some okay. of them are going to be serious and help us preview the season. Some of them are going to be nonsense. I might be adding one in right now about how many times Drake will post uh, to Instagram story uh, Alex's book. You know, we'll see. Oh, we'll, Nihal, we'll see Blake. if it makes it in there. Wow. Okay, so let's let's start there. Let's start with a, a nice, light, easy one. Alex, you have the... Uh, you have the the first dibs here, so yeah, first. So, so what what do I pick from? What is the category? So I'm I'm just giving this one to you because okay, you're giving you said this to me. How? Okay, you're giving this to me. Let's Over go. under eleven and a half times this year on the show, you make me not me saying it on my own. You make me say ni how. Uh, that's gonna be an over, um, and I think you're gonna have to adjust that line to, for the eleven and a half between now uh, until per week or per uh, no between per now. Season. When is the season opener, guys? Yeah. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Uh, 11 and a half, we will clear that by next Wednesday. So do you want to adjust that spread? Yeah, let's go 11 and a half per week on average. <laughs> okay, then I'll have to go uh, under. Yeah. For the season, I would go, I, I I would adjust this. So what is the Raptors, I believe, over under wins total comes in at 36, 36 and a half. half, right? So Raptors win total versus number of times I make you say ni hao on the show. Um, I would say that's going to be a push. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna call a push. Will, which side of that are you taking? Raptors wins or Alex makes me speak Chinese? I was not expecting Blake to hit us with a Chinese Honestly? prop right yeah. away. Wow. I had it, I had I it ready to go. Cast. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, oh man, honestly, I th- I'm actually pretty optimistic about where the Raptors will finish this year. I feel like mm. it's going to be well over that 36 number. I mean, it's not going to be like 50, I don't think, but it'll be like in the mid 40s. Also, so. if if the if Alex makes me say like forces me to say it that many times, so I what? might just stop doing the show <laughs> at some point. For, so. Forcing seems like a strong word yeah. word yeah. choice there, Blake. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in seriousness, though, let's yeah. build off of that, yes, and and we'll we'll start. You you okay. are pretty optimistic about the Raptors over under total. So that total on the Vegas line is 36 and a half. Yeah. So we'll use that one. As a reminder, they were 41 and 41 last year. Their yeah. Pythagorean win loss. So when we look at what the point differential was, that is usually a better predictor of future performance. That came in at 45, but they lost Fred Van Vliet, who was, depending on which metric you look at, most of them agreed in terms of wins above replacement. He was their most valuable player last year. Fred I know Van Vliet is rice. It's actually okay. rice, yeah. I know that'll drive some people nuts uh, to, to hear. And we don't need to do that argument again. But those are the the factors playing in here. So Raptors over under 36 and a half wins. Yeah, I just don't see why, even in a down year last year when the Raptors won 41, that they're suddenly at 36 or 37, essentially, which is what the line has them at. It's not like I feel like the conference has gone that much better around them. I feel like the top teams have gotten better in the sense that the Celtics reloaded and... Uh, the Bucks definitely reloaded, but those teams are going to be the top of the conference anyway. Um, the teams around the Raptors range, I'm not seeing significant moves. It's not like the Atlanta Hawks got Pascal Siakam the way they wanted to trade for him. Uh, the Bulls are right there with the Raptors as like, hey, you're in the play-in, but you also don't want to make any big deals. 
So they're still kind of around the same. Miami, I would say, even went a little bit worse. Although, you know, Miami, the way they operate, they're always going to just find some guys to come out and really contribute to their rotation. I don't know if you guys have seen what Jamal Kane has been doing, but, you know, that might be the next <laughs> That's like, a creative the, player, The new man. Max Struess. It could be the new Max Struess. It could be a new Gabe Vincent. Uh, as I've called him recently on his show, Gabe Vincent. Uh, I just feel like, you know, that's that's how that Miami just, like, births these guys. But I, I think, yeah, for Toronto, like, yes, losing Fred is, um, you know, going to swing things. But at the same time, they bring in Dennis, who um, can at least give you sim- similar things in terms of point of attack defense. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's, I would not say Dennis is better than Fred, but at the same time, you know, at least you sort of brought somebody in to fill that role. And I guess the, the gap that you're trying to hope for is you have Yaka for the whole season. And after the Raptors traded for Yak last year, um, their record did bump up a lot. Their defense improved a lot. So you got him for the full season. Hopefully you get a, a little bit cleaner bill of health. Um, and then, yeah, you sprinkle in a little bit of that Darko magic. Like, I just don't think that this team is going to be that bad. Like, you know, defensively, we have the potential to be at least a top 10 defense. And if we're doing that, then it's very hard to be under 500 if you're really good on defense. I, I think why the Vegas line is a little further under, in addition to, you know, what what is it, nine of the last 11 years the Raptors have hit the over. They, there was yeah. a, a historic streak that had never happened before in, in terms of beating the Vegas line. And the um, only two were Tampa. And, yes. and last, and last year. year, last year. Yeah, and uh, Tampa, we can we can kind of throw out. I think I think we've all agreed we're we're just chucking that one. But part yeah, of right. part of the reason may also be though. Let's say the Raptors, you know, let's say the average Raptors outcome is forty wins. Let's say, well, what are the paths to where the Raptors blow that away? Mm-hmm. Not a ton. Even if Scotty Barnes takes a leap, you know, you don't necessarily have the pieces to make a trade for you know an all in kind of move in season but what are the scenarios where things don't go well and then maybe you're a seller at the trade deadline i think vegas probably sees the downside as more significant than the upside even if you know yeah. say 40 wins is kind of the middle alex how are you feeling about vegas setting line at 36 yeah, and a half i think my pushback is i think all the stuff you said makes perfect sense in terms of the roster might be different after the trade deadline but this assumes that the raptors operate as a regular NBA franchise. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. And deals with uh, and and you know gets rid of players that are in their contract year if it doesn't make sense that they're not going to be here long term. I think Will's a little bit more optimistic than I am about the Raptors. Like I look at the team, uh, still the same issues. Like where's all the shooting going to come from? What's that half court offense going to look like? So I wouldn't be shocked if they were another one of those teams that were just playing in the mud the whole season and just struggling around 500. And if an injury goes one way if a roster move goes one way then 36 37 wins like i wouldn't be shocked if they ended up in that range so, so i think it's a very good line okay so I you're, you're kind of right line. on you're you're oh you can't be a push they yeah, can't yeah, win yeah. 36 and a half games I'm, but... a, I'm a ride with will on what he picks though yeah okay. well here's, here's the other thing too speaking of picks the raptors traded their pick uh for this upcoming draft so if top you do six pivot, protected it's top six protected but if you do pivot away uh, you would need control of your pick. So the fact that they've traded away their pick, I think they actually intend to be competitive. I mean, this is all that they talk about every single day. You walk into that gym, you see it on the board. They're talking about winning. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, that like it, it hasn't been like this all-in move. They didn't trade for a dame or anything like that. But I mean, at the same time, like even last year in a down year, they won 41. So now suddenly we're at 36. It just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, a great point, Will. And for anyone who doesn't know, the way the NBA lottery works is that top six protected pick 
that comes after the lottery. So if the Raptors, you know, won the lottery as a team that lost in the play-in again, they would keep their pick. If you want to guarantee that pick, though, that you keep it and it doesn't go to San Antonio, only the bottom two teams are guaranteed a top six right. pick. So yep. you would have to really bottom out to be 100% sure uh, that you are getting to keep that pick. All right, Alex, I'm going to let you control the board here a little bit. Mm. We can go with player-specific props. We can go with te- general Raptors props, or you can open up kind of a random grab bag. You know I love my random grab bags, Blake. Let's go. All right. Fred Van Vliet will return to Toronto later this season, of course. Mm. This is specifically his return to Toronto. They play twice in like a 10-day span. So this isn't the game in Houston. We're, We're talking just the Toronto one. Fred Van Vliet attempts over or under 9.53s. Over. <laughs> Will? That's it. Oh, man. Yo, you know he's going to come out gunning, man. So, you know, I actually, this is how dedicated to basketball I am, all right? I, I, I watched the, the Rockets-Spurs preseason game last night. Wemby did not dress, did not play. Mm. And I still watched it. Because I just want to know, like, you know, these young guys, you know, Where's you know what color is Jeremy Sohan's hair today? Uh, you know what's the progress on Zach Collins? Um, Cam Whitmore, I saw that dunk live, which or at least live watching the t- television, which was awesome. Unfortunately, it was a charge uh, t- taken by Doug McDermott. Like I really watched this game in great detail. This is where we need to enact the if it's cool, it can't be a foul rule. That, yes. was, that dunk was too good to call a charge on. Uh, yeah, for people who didn't watch this game, which I believe is ninety nine point nine percent of the audience, um, Cam Whitmore took off from one step inside the free throw line in transition with like six other guys around him and just completely postered uh, Doug McDermott, uh, who got up and just kind of laughed because he actually did get the charge, but it was crazy. <laughs> uh, my point is, watching this game, it wasn't like Fred was like uh, chucking the way he, he would in, in Toronto. I actually don't think that his usage will be as high in uh, Houston. I get the sense, especially watching the first couple of preseason games, it's just he's looking to sort of set up the plays a little bit more. And there's other guys who are very aggressive on offense around him in a way that I don't think were so much the case in Toronto, at least last season. So I might actually go under on that one. You're going, you're going about it too logically, man. He's going to, you know, he, you know, Fred talked a lot about just like seeing all the social media criticism last yeah. year. So but maybe I, that's it. Maybe he goes for his own Raptors assist record instead. <laughs> I, I oh. think, no, I think he's going to come in gunning, man. I think okay. he's going to want to prove a so, point. Okay. So 24 okay. times last year, he yeah. took 10 or more three-point attempts. 45 times he took nine or fewer. So it's about a one in three chance based mm. on last year. Um, so I'm not surprised that you guys kind of split it down the middle, one over, one under. I like this. Will, you are in control of the board. Player-specific, yeah. team-specific, or random? Give me, uh, me player-specific. All right. I like those. Let's, uh, let's, you mentioned Fred Van Vliet's usage. Let's okay. stick with usage rate. Okay. Last year, Dennis Schroeder yep. had a career low usage rate of 18.6%. Okay. His usage rate, and usage rate is the number of possessions uh, you use when you're on the floor, either by a field goal attempt, a free throw attempt, or a turnover. Mm-hmm. So your share of the offense when you're on the court. Career low 186 last year. He's been all over the place in his career. It has been as high as 30.4%. Was that OKC? Atlanta. Atlanta. The end of his Atlanta time. Okay. So this year, as kind of the fifth starter on this team, over or under, 19.9999%. usage is exactly league average mm-hmm. because there are five guys on the floor. Yeah. Is he over or under that 19.9% usage? This is for I think this is easy for me. I'm going to go under on this. Um again, when you watch the first two preseason games and I know there's another one tonight and I'll be tuning into that one for sure when the Raptors play the Chicago Bulls in Chicago, but uh the impression that you're very clearly left with is that Dennis and Yaka for the starting uh five those two are there to set the table. Um, 
Dennis is not looking for his offense and looking to score that much. I'm sure things will come up and, you know, um, scenarios might change, but it's pretty clear that the featured scores, especially for the starting group, are Pascal, or Scotty, and OG. And I would say Pascal and Scotty are probably featured to a similar degree. Uh, and then OG's probably more third behind them. But that is sort of how it's going to go. And it's going to be pretty similar to sort of the way the Lakers um, had Dennis operate, where he brought the ball up, got off the ball, uh, obviously found opportunities to attack and slash. And, you know, he's good at those things. But, you know, he he's very willing to talk about how, you know, he was very deferential to, I mean, obviously LeBron, AD, Austin Reeves. He loves bringing up Austin hmm. Reeves, you know. So, um yeah, I think it'll be kind of similar in Toronto, even though obviously Toronto doesn't have the same level of weapons as sort of what the Lakers did on offense. His role is going to be very similar. So I'm going under for sure. And within that season last year, career low usage, but he also had a career high free throw rate and a career high three point attempt rate. So well, you know, every, he, every Laker had a career high free throw rate uh, last year. Oh, uh, yes. no, we're doing the conspiracy. I mean, yeah. You know. Who knows? Maybe that's one of the random category ones. We'll, oh. we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I'm excited. Um, there Their are too many. There are too many. We're not going to get them all yeah. in. Um, so, Alex, for context, for additional context here, Dennis Schroeder has only twice in his 10 year career had a usage percentage under 20. percent mm. Are you going over or under that 19.9? I'm gonna roll with Will on this one. I do think it's under. You know, from watching um, them play a NBA team and the beautiful uh, roster from Cans so far, it does seem like Dennis is going to be more in that kind of playmaking role. And, um, I, you know, I think usage, yeah, I think the usage will under 20. Uh, the YouTube usage, I would go over 75%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. I have uh, his, his, his For For people that don't blogs. know, like Dennis Schroeder, I think will be the most social, friendly, like, player this season. More than Grady? You think, you think it's going to be Grady? Grady's not controlling his own Grady content, already, though, Grady I don't already think. did Carabana, man. Yeah. He can only go down from there. Well, he also did Adonis' music oh, video. that's right. That's what I'm saying. Shouts to the boy's boy, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I'm going to control the board for you here, Alex, since I, since I mentioned Adonis. Uh-oh. Um, what? Uh-oh. Will, I'm going to start you for this one. So this is, again, right. out, of, out of the random category. Let's go. Um, Alex Wong versus Adonis in a freestyle Friday. Alex... Plus two fifty, uh, underdog in, in this one. Who are you underdog. taking? Underdog. What? No, I mean, man, you don't you, you don't have a full music video. Yo, he gonna come at the boy, man. Okay. He's still playing with toys, man. I got ploys. So. Oh, oh, my bad, my yeah, bad. There you go. Oh, my no, bad, my yeah, bad. A little bit of that's guy, coming man. out of me. My back bad, my guy, bad. The lethal weapon. No, but no, honestly, like, too. did you guys watch that video? Um, yeah, so for people it, that it don't know, entirely yeah. in the OVO yeah, so yeah. for people that don't know Adonis, uh, you know, son of Drake that was revealed by Pusha T several years ago, <laughs> um, uh, put out a video over the weekend. I believe it's the, the song like called, a uh, it's a my but... man freestyle. And he brought yeah. Adonis brought all his friends. They're dressed yeah. up in different basketball jerseys and they took over the OVO athletic center. And there's a scene you guys are referencing. It's Drake. Adonis and Grady's at the podium, <laughs> right? Where we usually in the media people. room. Yeah. Yeah. In the media room. So wow. it was, uh, it, it was crazy to see because I believe you guys were at Oren's birthday and that was the same vibe. Everyone in their favorite basketball Jersey <laughs> and singing. And yeah, I never knew 28 year olds couldn't work a karaoke uh, room. They, yeah. they got three songs in, in the first 30 minutes. I swear. I mean, Unbelievable. To be fair, it, the whole machine is in Korean, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I did have to just sacrifice my role. And I was like, I'm just going to take over. Also, <laughs> we should, we should get this out publicly on the record that Bohemian Rhapsody is a terrible karaoke song. I, no, it's not, it's not horrible, but it should just be the last karaoke song. Cause it's 13 minutes. It's a whole radio segment. Every song needs a two minute version for karaoke. And I look, I was surprised to hear that. So Oren turned what? 28, 28. 28 I yeah. was surprised to hear Happy that one came out to the like 
people uh, my age, I'm 37 and like older, like my dad's favorite movie is Wayne's World. And they sing that all together in the car, like while they're driving to go out yeah, that yeah, night. Sure. And that's why mm -hmm. I thought people who are like roughly my age would do that for karaoke. But also, yeah, you can't be doing a 12 minutes. What are we going to do? Meatloaf next? It's like a six and a half minute ballad that has fast parts in between. Um, no. Okay, Alex. So it's your board. We'll, we'll cut off the random ones for now. Uh, player uh, specific or team specific? Let's go team specific. All right. Okay. Here's a crazy one for you. Mm. In the Nick Nurse era. Oh, God. So five, trying to forget that. five seasons with the Raptors. Yeah, we're moving on. There were 800 and 805 instances where a player played 36 minutes or more. <laughs> that sounds low, Blake. Can you double-check that? 25% higher than the next highest team and 75% higher than the league average. That's how much more the Raptors played their guys 36-plus minutes. Still seems low, but go ahead. Last year, uh, they did it 212 times. It was the only team to do to play their players heavy minutes more than that in the last decade was Thibodeau's Timberwolves mm -hmm. when Wiggins led the league in, in total minutes. Mm -hmm. So that was 212 last year, which is yeah. way more than everyone else in the league. This was a tough line to set because I want to correct it to like league average-ish, but it's such a dramatic change. Mm -hmm. So Alex, uh, 212 last year, 210 the year before that. Okay. We're going to drop it all the way to 119.5 this year. Over, under, times Darko plays a guy 36 plus minutes. And you're saying 119. Do you have like the league average from last year? Like the teams? or Yeah, uh, 96 has been the league average over the last five years. Okay, I'm going to go I'm gonna go under. Because I think when, when Darko Ryakovic, shouts to my short king, was hired, I feel like there was three mandates. Number one, uh, build a great relationship with Scotty Barnes. Uh, number two, rid all the selfishness uh, in the locker room. Um, and, and number three is to like play more guys. He's talked about going 10 deep, all of this stuff. The Raptors have, you know, arguably added more depth to the bench. And I do think this team's just not going to work. One of the problems last year, and I think in the Nick Nurse era towards the tail end, was the fact that they were playing six-man rotations. So I do, so I'm, I'm going to comfortably say it's going to go under. Well, are you with that again? So the, the, the bar that we have having covered the Raptors the last couple of years, 75% higher than league average in terms yeah. of these heavy minute games. Uh, I, I cut it big time to 119.5, but that's still significantly over the league average. Are you going over or under? I think it'll still be a little bit close to that only because like the function of the, the way the roster is built is that there's not so much quality that you, um, especially you get into tighter games, like, you know, it's going to be a little hard to resist the temptation to overplay some of your main guys. Because I think there's a pretty clear drop-off between your main guys to your second unit to your third unit, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but having said that, though, I mean, I agree with what Alex is saying. Like, is the mandate for Darko to come in, um, one of those things was to sort of get more minutes around and develop guys. I mean, we saw at practice yesterday, there was so much discussion about Malachi Flynn and sort of his chance to get in the rotation. And we're, we're talking about Malachi Flynn's in the rotation. You know, that, obviously, there's only, it's a zero-sum game, right? There's only so many minutes to go around. So, um it is. I, I will miss some of those oddities that came about from from uh, hmm. you know the time under Nick. Remember that triple overtime game against you know Miami, Miami? Yep. where everyone played fifty minutes. All three starters played fifty three to fifty six minutes, and then uh, the two or no the three guys who came off the bench combined for thirty seven minutes total. Great. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously that's like a triple overtime game, but yeah. And look, this there, is... There were some there were statistical oddities for sure. This setting is, records. This is also about more than just spreading the minutes around, to be clear. When guys are... Look, all of these guys are fantastically conditioned. Um, Pascal Siakam, I think Oren, to, to bring it back to Oren, wrote a piece last year about how Pascal Siakam might be the best conditioned player in the NBA, just given the minutes load and the role load and things like that. But if you are cutting guys from 37, 38, 39 minutes to 33, 34, 35... In theory, you're fresher in the fourth quarter. And where did the Raptors struggle so much last year? Late in close games. So uh, yeah. maybe that's something that, that helps with winning as well. Uh, Will, we'll keep it on this topic. I'll give you another one. Okay. Um, this is bench minutes for the season. So not when, a, not when someone fills okay. in for a starter when they're hurt. It's strictly bench minutes. So last year, Raptors were dead last in the league um, by a long shot. As you would expect. <laughs> These numbers are so funny, man. It, yeah. makes, it makes perfect sense why there's a coaching change. So I'm going to set the over-under uh -huh. at exactly league average, which is 85 minutes for the bench per game. That works out to each starter averaging about 31 minutes a game. So will the Raptors use their bench more or less than the league average? Oh, that's a really good question. I, th I think... I think it'll be less, but very slightly less. I, I think it'll be so close to the league average. I appreciate that Darko wants to play the 10-man rotation. Like, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of well-laid plans in preseason. But they're um, still top-heavy talent-wise. They're still top-heavy talent-wise. And I do think that, um, especially for the fact that, again, like, I think they really do want to intend to compete. Like, it'll be a little closer. It'll be a little closer. I think it really depends on some of the health of guys as well. You know, like, if Otto's available to play... Um, if Precious is able to come back, Christian Cloak is able to come back. Like I think they have, the more options they have, the more they'll use that bench. But yeah, I, I think I, I think I'll still slightly go under. Yeah, I'm 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 actually pretty comfortable saying the under because I feel like even the jump to saying the starters playing like 37 minutes to 33, that's like a lot. Like I even just pulled up like because Giannis is the one player I always think about that they really manage him really well. During and he's the what, around season. 33, 34 usually? 32. Yeah, okay. 32 last season and then 33 the year before, 33 the year before. And it's like, that's a team that's running over teams in the regular season. They can manage his minutes. Like you guys said, like the Raptors just don't have enough talent to be able, if they're trying to win games, to like distribute the minutes that way. So I think as the season goes on, if they're trying to hit that win total, win all those games, like, I don't think they can just play their starters like the 32-33. So I think that the bench is going to come in under. Lock this, that one in for me. And this is also something to keep in mind as we get into some of the player-specific stuff because if we are assuming that the starters are going to play fewer minutes, maybe that has an impact on some of their uh, some of their counting stats and, and things like that by the end of the year. Not dramatic, like cutting three, mm. four minutes a game isn't going to be crazy, but it's still like, you know, if you go from 36 to, to 32, mm. that, that's a, a bit of a change there. It's, a, it's more than a 10% drop in, in your minutes. So uh, maybe that hits the stats. Alex, are you good staying player-specific here? Let's do that. All right. The Toronto Raptors record for most threes made by a rookie is probably not getting touched. It's 133 by Damon Stoudemire, who, uh, you know, first known as writing great forwards yeah, in forward Raptors books. Yeah, in stores October 24th. But also... Now available at Indigo. We got to do an over-under how many times Alex promos his book. Until I'm told I to can't, stop. I can't count that high. Um, so the <laughs> it's record, actually not available on the books. <laughs> the record is 133 yeah. for Damon. That's that's probably untouchable. That's almost, yeah. okay. you know, that's well over one and a half a game. But for Grady Dick, yeah. I'm going to set the over-under at 73.5 made threes for the year. Um, to give you some context, after Damon Sotomayor, Andrea Bargnani hit 100, Terrence Davis hit 94, 
OG hit 73. So OG is fourth all time in Raptors rookie wow. threes with 73. And that's where I'm setting the over under for Grady Dick. Obviously right now it looks like a smaller bench roll, but when he's on the court, he's going to get the shoot. Alex, are you, are you robust on that 73 number? Or are you going under? I'm going under. I just think I, I just have questions about what his role is going to be just like consistently on this team. Like I'm sure he's going to get his opportunities in the first year, but I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to be getting regular rotation minutes throughout the 82 game schedule. So I'm, I'm going to bet on that and, and go with the under. Will, how do you feel about that one? I, I feel, I feel similarly. Um, but I think one thing that is working in Grady's favor is that we're in like the most high volume three point attempt era mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i think so, that so four attempts for context to hit this number yeah if he shot 40 percent yeah. on three for the year which is probably too high for a rookie yeah. he'd have to take 2.3 a game yeah yeah see that's, that's what i'm saying like i don't i don't think he's gonna be in the game enough to be taking that many attempts um so no i think i'm gonna go under as well okay yeah. this is a related grady dick one i did some research on this so eight mm. times this year Raptors 905 will play a home game in Mississauga mm. while the Raptors are also at home right. and not playing. So Raptors off night, but the team is here and the 905 are playing. There are also two of those day-night doubleheaders where the 905 right. play in the morning and then the Raptors play at night. So there are 10 opportunities where whether it's Grady Dick or someone else, guys could go down and it doesn't disrupt what the Raptors are doing rotation-wise. 10 times on the schedule. Over, under, five and a half Grady Dick appearances for the 905. Just in those days alone, or just in general? Overall, but I, oh, I pick I those over. out because yeah, those I are the easiest over. ones mm -hmm. to uh, those are the easiest ones to pick up. I, I take the over, and it's not like um, it's not a negative thing, at least especially if you're playing for the Raptors to to spend some time on the 905. Like this is just the standard protocol for every sort of prospect that comes up here. Like Scotty's the exception, but Scotty's exceptional. He was rookie of the year. He didn't need to you know go down to the G League for anything. But like every other player who has come through, you know, first round draft picks, you know, second round picks, undrafted players. Their first year involves a lot of time with the 905. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's going to be part of it. I mean, five, five and a half, like that's, yeah, it, it might be even, it might be double that for me, but yeah. Yeah, I, I picked out those 10 games because those are the easy ones, right? It's right, like you're not right. disrupting the Raptors' plans yeah. uh, to do those games. For, for anyone who doesn't remember, um, Pascal Siakam obviously went down there and, and we make a big deal of how much that helped him. He only played 12 games. Norman Powell played eight. Mm. OG played zero. Jakob Pertl only played two. Right. I guess OG's the other exception. Yeah. And, and OG, I mean, he was a day one starter and, and playing too much. So right. there's there's some ebb and flow. You know, Terrence Davis didn't really play down there that much because he he was in the rotation and things like that. So um yeah, there's some there are sometimes reasons not to send a guy down there. But if I, Grady's I think, playing twenty minutes a game, I don't know that he'll go down there. But if he's playing seven, eight minutes a game, I think he'll be down there for a lot of those. One of the differences for me just is just like some of those other guys were older mm -hmm. rookies. You know what I mean? And yep. I do feel like, especially for Grady, like we got to remember he's 19 years old. Yeah, Norman Powell played four years at, at UCLA, two yeah. of them as a full-time starter. Yeah, yeah. DeLon Wright had two full years at, at Utah and, right, and right. still spent ample 905 times. So, so the point's well taken. Alex, how do you feel about that? And, and I guess over under 0 0.5 of those that you'll attend. Uh, you know what? We're going to go over on that one. Okay. Can we like, make a group outing? Like the Raptor show goes to the 905 game? Because yeah. I feel like, like they, you're going to be down there. They sometime. come to Scotiabank too, right? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> they've got two at Scotiabank <laughs> this are, year. Hey, I think. listen. But the, on, those man. ones will be tough for us though because they're 11 a.m. start, so we'll have to book it back here. Okay. So, or or uh, do 905 special live from So the, any company expense, um, you know, car to Mississauga, there and back. So let's do the Usually about a $35 Uber. Yeah, okay. That's not that bad. Um. Our boss is going to approve that. Um, but 
Yeah, no, I'm with Will. I'm with Will on the. Uh, he took the over, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm on the over. And I, I think that's exciting. I, I. I haven't asked anyone with the 905 yeah. about this, but in recent memory, the this is the most opportunity they've had for this kind of thing, where right. the 905 are at home and the Raptors are at home and the Raptors don't play. There have been so many nights over the last couple of years, and really the whole 905 existence, where you know, especially when I was around them all the time, I had to choose. And I'd be at the 905 game with the Raptors game up on my computer or the Raptors had to decide, you know, do we have this guy go down? What if we need him on the road? Right. Um, I think they ran into that with Christian Coloco once last year. They had to call him back up because there was a, an injury and they, they needed the extra depth on the road. These ones are, are a much simpler decision. And that's like that's 20% of their schedule, 10 games. So Yeah, but uh, again, like I, when he goes down there, I want to see Grady shoot like 15 threes. Yeah. Game. No, he got to put it. He got to be putting up like fifty point games. Down I mean, there. yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, V went down there. V went down there and put up like forty. Yeah, like, that's what yeah. I mean. Get like, I'm not even like I'm not being facetious. I'm even I thinking about like um, Delano. Delano put up like crazy numbers mm-hmm. when he was yeah, down yeah. there too, right? Matt like, Thomas went down there and was just shoot, shoot, yeah, shoot. Yeah, we don't need to bring that up. That's an old yeah. Grady Dick. I was yeah. calling him Labonga James every time like Bonga went down there. Yeah, you were the only one, brother. That's a that's a World Cup champion. You're talking about there. That is a World Cup champion. That's right. Um, we, we, got a new Matt speaking, to, we, we might be speaking to the coach, actually, of that team soon, actually. We got a new Matt Thomas this year. I'm excited, man. No, come yeah. on. He's better than Matt Thomas, man. Come on. Oh, come on, man. We I mean, even just being right. tall enough to, to as a specialist, yeah. right? It's like kind of the Duncan Robinson no, thing. That, is like, you must be he this moves tall. Way better than Dun- he moves way better than... Well, maybe not Duncan. Duncan, I feel like, has definitely yeah. improved on that front. But No, he does have that sneaky athleticism. And the height is important, right, to get your shot off. That was yeah, a, a tough thing. And, and, you know, J.J. Redick has broke this down a ton over the years since he stopped playing about how much that push-ahead move helped him because he had to get that extra separation coming around a screen because mm-hmm. guys could close out. And, and the push-ahead or push-off? Because uh, yeah. a lot of push-offs when, when it comes. But that's what you have to do. No, the only rule he wants to talk about is the travel on, on Kawhi. So. Mm. <laughs> I, I love that that L is, uh, you know, lingering on their mind, just like that shot lingered on the rim before it dropped. That feels, like, Great uh, stuff. Great stuff. that feels like a natural point to uh, hit pause here and take okay. a break. We've got a bunch more of these. Um, a couple more. We'll, we'll focus in on the starters a little bit more. We'll, we'll take some of these a little bit more serious, but there are still some nonsense ones, Alex, so, uh, so don't go. worry. I'll stay. I'll stay then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll continue this as the Raptor Show with William Luke continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue joined by Blake Murphy and Alex Wong. Blake is walking us through Raptors props that you can't actually bet on, but, uh, you know, it's a fun way to preview the seasons, Blake. So uh, yeah. you keep us going. Plus, I'm not I'm not ruling out that people could just send me money uh, if they if they feel like betting on these. I don't, oh, oh, Blake the bookie. I'm, I'm going to uh, adjust the lines. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll adjust the lines when that happens. No. So we've got a couple focused on some of the starters here. So um, we goofed around a little bit, and we still have some some fun ones to sprinkle in. But let's uh, let's take a look at some of the starting players and what their numbers and trends could look like okay. this year. And let's start with Scotty Barnes because I think. What he does, I mean, the statistics aren't everything, but what he does this year is going to determine a lot about how we feel about the Toronto Raptors. So uh, rookie season and sophomore season were very, very similar statistically. He averaged 15.3 points in both seasons. His rebounding last year was down about a rebound per game, but his assists were up 1.3 per game. So 26.3 
and 26.7 were his points plus rebounds plus assists. Mm. That's a, you know, a prop people play night to night or whatever, or your daily fantasy league or whatever. Points plus rebounds plus assists. It was 26.3 as a rookie, 26.7 last year. I am optimistic about this one. I'm going to set the over-under at 29.5, so a jump of about three points plus rebounds plus assists. And mm. keep in mind, um, we are we just kind of went through that we expect maybe starters don't play 35, 36, 38 minutes quite as often. Uh, so over-under, 29.5, Will. Scotty Barnes, points plus rebounds plus assists. I mean, I think for everyone's sanity, we're going to take over. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I, I do think that there's going to be so much more hand-wringing if it doesn't get to that point. I think the biggest improvement would be probably in the scoring department. Um, I think that, you know, rebounding, for example, is going to be a little bit more difficult. You bring in Jakob now. There's a lot less defensive rebounds to, 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 to attack. Assists, Although I, I would say that yeah. people will probably be more in better position for defensive rebounding by way of playing more conservative defense, maybe. Yeah, that's fair. But, I mean, we're talking about... Like, you're preventing, like, three offensive rebounds per game. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. having a center to play with who's close to the basket all the time is probably going to, you know, affect defensive rebounding more. But I, I think, yeah, for me, it's the, the jump is going to come from the scoring aspect. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I would love to see sort of the continuation that we've seen in, in preseason so far, which is that Scotty has been much more aggressive looking for his offense. You know, uh, there's just moments where he's just, like, is able to get downhill, pivot, use his strength, you know, use his, you know, left hook right hook like he's just got great touch with those kind of moves and i just want to see more and more of that and i think especially with the way that uh, darko has set up the starting five again with Jakob and um dennis kind of just setting up to play increasing the wheel that really allows scotty to focus more on scoring so i'd love to see a scoring closer to 20 points a game i mean we're talking about a league right now where there's like 70 guys who average 20 in a season can scotty be one of those 70 guys especially if we're gonna like you know put all the long-term resources into this player and I believe he has all the potential to do that. So if he gets to that level, I think the rest of it is going to come easily. So I'm going to say, yeah, over. And even if he doesn't quite get there, even something like 18, 7, and 5, which is pretty reasonable. You know, he's averaged 7.1 rebounds for his career, 4.2 assists, yeah, yeah, yeah. 15.3 points. So even something like 18, 7, and 5 uh, gets him there. Alex, how are you feeling about this one? See, I'm going to use you as a lifeline here. Back to you, Blake, okay? Even though you're hosting this. Because I'm thinking more, I know Will's talking about the points. I'm thinking more like, can the assists tick up this year? And I know they've talked a lot about, like, putting the ball in his hands, playmaking, all this stuff. Can you see him jumping to a point where he's at, like, I don't know, like six assists a game or even, like, creeping higher than that? Yeah, I'd probably set the baseline for this year at five and a half. Okay. Um, I I think, you know, one area that I I think we've already seen in preseason, and it's an area that there was a slight step back last year, and I think it's an area where he could be one of the very best in the league, is playmaking in transition. And that's where, you know, that's maybe connected a little bit to how they defensive rebound. If it's, you know, if if Yak is coming down with that and looking for Dennis Schroeder every time, or if it's more of a Steven Adams-style clear out, let Scotty grab it and run with it off the rim, uh, I think there's a lot more opportunity for that. So I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. Six might be just a tad high, just in terms of how yeah. sequentially we see these things grow. Um, but, you know, we saw Pascal take a, a jump like that as well. Uh, there's nothing saying that, you know, Pascal, Scotty, and Dennis Schroeder can't all be five, six assist guys uh, night to night. So I, I would take the over on this one. Uh, certainly as well. Yeah, because 20, 20 points a game, I don't know. Like, I know I know 20 but points. 18, 7, and 5 gets you the over yeah, here still, so right? I w- yeah, I, I wrote down actually like 18, 6, and 5 for him okay. when you when you put out the thing. So that's an over, right? Okay. Yeah. That's an over. By the way, I overestimated how many players averaged 20 last Kelly year. Kelly Oubre averaged 20 last he, year. He did average 20 last year. Those 58 players last year. Who, that's a lot. That's two that's per a team. Lot of players. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, sub over under this one. Scotty Barnes had one triple-double last year. 
Mm. Over under one and a half this year. Does he top that? I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I think he's going to put together some nice games because we're pro Scotty now. I mean, I, I mean, we're pro. Scotty, no, th- this show is pro being right. That's the <laughs> important thing here. So that's that's what we're trying to do with these props. No, no, no. I, I think people will tell you that we're agenda driven. Um, no, I, I think it's it's hard to predict these things, but why not? You know, I mean, like I, I don't want to see another like triple double drought. I know we we talked about this maybe more recently because the Raptors hired Ben Uzo, but there was like a maybe decade long drought where the Raptors as a franchise just didn't have any triple doubles. Did we go doubles. that long without a triple double? For I think it oh was like God. Alvin Williams did one. Shouts to Alvin, sports uh, teammate and also friend of the program. Um, I think Alvin had one in like 2004. 2001. 2001. Yeah. And then there was like a big gap and then it was like Ben Uzo and then a, a smaller gap from that point onward and maybe Jose got one afterwards. Jose had two. He had two? Yeah, he had two at the start of the 2012-2013 season. So yes, you tell me Jose uh, Alcaldron had two? You know what? Uh, if Jose had two in a season, Scotty can have two in a season. I think, it, yeah. The, yeah. Scotty grabbing 10 assists is likelier than Jose Calderon grabbing 10 it's rebounds. It's basically at, just at that he's that a hit 10 assists. I, I mean, like, the rebounding is going to be there for Yeah, he's going to have a lot of double doubles. Yeah. It's just more fun to root for the triple doubles, too. Yeah. Why, why bet the under on that? Yeah. All right. Um, so someone who is very high up on the Raptors' all-time leaderboard in triple doubles is Pascal Siakam. He's actually second behind Kyle Lowry. Lowry has 16. Pascal has five. Um, okay. Believe it or not, that is uh, that is what <laughs> the French. Well, we're really that a poverty triple double franchise. That is unbelievable. Uh, oh so last year, Pascal averaged twenty four point two points, seven point eight rebounds, five point eight assists. My question about Pascal is not about his stat line, though, because he's led the league in minutes per game two years in a row. I would hope that comes down. Maybe the numbers come down a little bit with it. But the more important thing for Pascal, especially potentially heading into free agency, will. Plus 150 is where I'm setting the line here. That's an implied probability of about 40%. Does he make all NBA? I don't think so. Um, I think that some things are working in his favor, like the fact that there's a 65-game cutoff, um, qualifying cutoff, um, in terms of games played. He's definitely healthier than most stars, uh, which definitely has helped him in the past as well, qualify for all NBA. Um, Is this the year they've gone positionless too? I believe it's positionless, yeah. Um, or, or flexibility around where you assign a guy. That's a little difficult. I think it, it cuts against him in this case. I feel like forward is actually oddly, just due to injuries to you know players recently like Kawhi, KD, LeBron, also these getting older, um, they've sometimes not qualified uh, or not necessarily been in the race, um, which has opened up more spots on the forward um, uh, case. So I think he just misses out on it. I also think that, like again, um, his best move here would be if the Raptors win something really ridiculous, like 50 games for this upcoming mm-hmm. season. Um, then I think his case is a lot stronger because I do think the counting numbers will come down. Uh, hopefully that accord, uh, corresponds with like a uptick in efficiency. But I think, yeah, the best case scenario is for him to win more games. I mean, yeah, if you're a 500 team, which is kind of what the Raptors are probably going to come in at, like if they're a 500 team, you're – it's very difficult to get on the All-NBA team unless you're averaging 30. What Shea did last year making All-NBA first team on a 500, like on a play-in team. Yeah. I mean, it's never happened with a play-in team because those things, sure, that yeah, didn't yeah. exist. But also, historically, about 45 wins is the cutoff. It's not an official thing that you have to hit, but most yeah, yeah, voters yeah. seem to draw the line around 45 wins. Alex, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Will. You know, I think even looking at last year's All-NBA teams, like 
you look at like, you know, Pascal to me is like an all NBA third team type player, right? And like Julius Randle was an all NBA third team last year, probably because the Knicks were better. And what you look were at they cooking. And you <laughs> what were they ask, cooking, those voters? If ask, I could get my Azotan. If we could get our hands on those synergy files, oh, though, just Pascal could have Azotan, you know the address, man. Pull up. Um, but like I even look at some of the guys who like didn't make the cutoff last year, like a Jaron Jackson Jr., Mikhail Bridges. Paul George, like there's just a lot of heavy competition if you're trying to get one of those 15 spots. And I think the deal breaker, like like the same thing that Will said, is just I don't think the team's going to be good enough for him to get that level of recognition. All right. Well, here's one that this is a health question in some regards, but it's also a what are they going to do with Pascal Siakam question. Okay. He is 71 games away from Morris Peterson for third all-time in franchise history mm. in games played. Does he get that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, barring yeah. obviously any injury, all that stuff. It's like he's he's been a very durable guy for most of his career. So I think he'll, he'll be there playing 33 minutes a game, you know, <laughs> nice and healthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I my only thoughts on this is just to Mo Pete, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning a lot about the Raptors franchise today. This I didn't know, we, history lesson. I didn't I like know we struggled so hard with triple doubles, man. Yeah. No, we really had a long drought. Shouts to Ben Uzo. My favorite thing at, at uh, Raptors Republic is when Kyle... When I was there full time, yeah. and I would always make a separate post of like Kyle got a triple double, and I would update the yeah, same. Like, right. Kyle has like fifteen of the twenty four triple doubles in franchise history, or whatever it is. Uh, I remember we used to do that when we were you and I were uh, news aggregation groups yes. uh, at the score, and our policy was anytime a player had a triple double, we would write a story and we send a quick alert out yeah. on that story. And then we broke that uh, rule after Russell Westbrook's season. <laughs> His MVP season was like, all right, we can't write like 100 of We these start stories. sending alerts when he doesn't get a triple-double? Honestly, uh, that season, that would have, you know, saved us some work. Uh, okay, so Jakob Pertl, we have talked a lot about how the offense is going to change a little bit, and we're going to talk more Jakob Pertl in the second half of yep. the show. Um, but the plan is to run a little bit more through him, initiating in the high post. Now, Jakob Pertl has always been a pretty adept passer, but he hasn't been used a ton as a playmaker, um, generally, you know, those handoff plays, yes, Nikola Jokic gets a, a ton of assists off of those, but they're often setting a guy up to drive an attack where it's about the next pass. Jakob Pertl was averaging 3.1 assists for San Antonio last year before the trade. He averaged 2.2 yeah. with the Raptors after the trade. I think we can agree that 2.2 is going to be a little bit low, given what we're hearing, but over under that 3.1 mark that was a career high prior to the trade. Uh, I'm going to still, actually, I'll say under, I'll say under. And I think that just because you're giving him the ball in the post doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to make the direct pass to the score, which mm -hmm. is obviously what qualifies for an assist. I think what that's going to lead to a lot of the times is, um, creating advantages and sort of the decision that has to be made by the person who receives the ball in terms of, are they going to shoot that uh, shot or are they going to further that advantage with the next play? And I do think that just, uh, just because he's going to have the ball so much in the post, it's not going to look like Jokic. It's not like that. We, had, It would help if we had more shooters who can just immediately kind of finish a play rather than trying to attack and, and cut and get all into the basket, which is typically how the Raptors are going to operate. But, yeah, I think that if there were more shooters, I would be pretty happy and, and easily say over. But I think I would probably say slightly under. Yeah, I want, I want some more uh, random props. So exactly what Will said, um, I'm going to go with the exact okay. same. All right, let's dip into the random ones then. All right. Uh, all right. Ish Wainwright visits with the Phoenix Suns. And oh, yo, what I said red. Hang, hang on, hang on. Ish Wainwright. I'm going somewhere with this. Ish Wainwright visits. He's trying to get a lift in on the third floor of Scotiabank Arena using the weight room up there. He uh, runs into Malachi Flynn. Oh, God. Ish Wainwright minus 10.5 pounds, the bicep curl dumbbells versus Malachi Flynn. 
You know what? This is actually a tough one. Cause uh, is it tough? I don't know. Malachi's bulked up. This you guys were talking about it yesterday. No, this is why I put it in here. He's what? locked in. Madame Malachi is locked in. Uh, Ish is still in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what's Phoenix known for? Winners oh. work, baby. Oh, that's Come right. On, the post game no, workout. Man. Also, have people seen Ish? Well, again, ninety nine point nine percent of the audience probably don't hasn't seen Ish win right that much. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, he's a former he, he's, Raptor. He's a, he's he's a former linebacker. He, like he's literally tight end, a, a tight end. Yeah, he yeah, tried sorry, out for bad, the Bills bad. as a tight end, having not really like he he finished up his eligibility as a basketball player, went and played for Baylor's football team for a year, and then yeah. got like was good enough to just try out for the Bills. That's crazy. As a huge guy who's who's super athletic. Yeah, I'm yeah. going with Ish. Which whichever pick goes with Ish. Okay. Definitely Ish. Yeah, he he got a PJ Tucker body. All right. Uh, Nick Nurse is going to face the Raptors four times this year. Oh yeah, what for this first weekend of the season. Right. Coming in yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, Yo, if we uh, we have to win. That's a must win. But this that's is a, a, <laughs> that's actually a must win I already. Mean, manage your expectations. Bro. No, no, it's a must win, man. This, this is Nicky Nurse, baby. No, no, no. I can't. I can't hear that drop that day. This is a question for some over the four games. Okay. Yep. Over under two point five Nick Nurse technical fouls. Ooh. I'm going. I'm gonna go with under. He he not gonna no. He he gonna he gonna, gonna do behavior. Yeah, I would say over under 0.5 a number of challenges he wins. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to submit my own prop. Here's the thing. I actually like this technicals idea because Nick is now going to be coaching Joel Embiid and potentially James Harden, based on how the season goes. Mm. Those are two of the biggest, like, um, ab- the, the world's advocators. most annoying group chat. Yeah. Advocators. Yeah, and Patrick yeah. Beverly, right? So this is a team um, that is going to have a lot of dialogue with the officials. Mm-hmm. And typically what you need from your coach is to back up that dialogue mm. um, so that your players don't get ejected. So I can't win alone. I think, yeah, Nick might be close to the, the, the league lead in, in Texas here, I feel like. That's just my, How that's my is, feeling on this. Do you have the numbers on Nick's text from, like, last year? I don't. Year? So the, okay. it's not an official... Uh, <laughs> not officially, officially tracks that. Kept, well, it is at the team level, yeah. uh, but I would have to go through and find, like, subtract all the ones that were yeah, yeah, charged yeah, yeah. to players. Oh, okay. um, generally, sure. like, the Timberwolves led the league with 0.7 per game as a team. Mm. So they're not that common. Okay, yeah. Like, keep in mind, 16 right. gets you suspended mm. as a player. So two and a half in four games would be a lot. Yeah, I'm going to go with the under. I'm gonna go with the under. No, I'm still gonna go with the over. You know, yo, they're, they're, I'm dedicating myself to slandering Nick this Patrick, year. Patrick Beverly being like the, their fourth most annoying player is is pretty funny. Yeah. They That's really the got Tyrese Maxey, man. They yeah. really got a score. Guy like over Shout out to James Harden, man. If you need any divorce advice, hit me up. Heard you're going through a divorce right now with Daryl Morey. Wow. <laughs> It's very right. public. Very public. I don't know. Okay, I got to pivot off of this one to a serious yeah, quick, one because we got to leave that uh, quickly <laughs> in the past. Uh, all right, this is a bit of a random one. Will um, OG Ananobi steals per game? Higher or lower than Precious Achua three-point attempts per game. Last year, OG led the league with one, 1. 1.9 steals per game, yeah. and Precious averaged exactly two three-point attempts per game. Which one's higher this year? Oh, man. I love Precious how it's only took two threes a game last year? Yeah, 2.0 exactly. He didn't play wow. that much either. So you're trying to factor in minutes played here, but... Uh, uh, I'm going Precious threes higher. Yeah. Mm. Alex, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Free Precious. Only I'm, two I'm threes also, a game. Yeah, I'm, I want a Precious bounce back season, man. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I'm ready Although for that. Although they're going to use them in the post as well. It's a little hard to shoot a three from the post. You know, it's yeah, but the pick and pops, possible. The pick and pops will still be there and, and yeah. stuff like that. Okay. Uh, okay. So here's one about three-point shooting. We are expecting more motion in the offense, and we're hearing a lot of good things. We're seeing a lot of good things. But you are just not going to have a good half-court offense if your guys can't hit threes. Someone mm. on this team is going to have to shoot threes better. Yes. Mm. 
Which Toronto Raptor sees the biggest boost in their three-point shooting percentage this year? Alex, we'll start with you. Whoa, so I'm just picking a player. Yeah, who do you think will have the biggest boost in three-point shooting percentage? I'm going to go with Gary Trent Jr. Okay, he was at 36.9% last God year. God damn. So that, right, that's a big jump. Let's tick it up to 40, Gary. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam. I feel okay. like especially Ooh. if he's going to be uh, operating a little bit more off-ball, more movement in the offense, more opportunities to get him the ball in the corner, as we talked about on yesterday's show. I think overall you hope to see a translation to more efficiency, and he is a much better catch-and-shoot three-point shooter than he is off the dribble. Yep, as I mentioned yesterday, he's been about seven to eight percentage points better as a catch-and-shoot guy than yep. a pull-up guy. He was at 32.4% Damn. last year, so he's got a little bit more room uh, to uptick here. The other candidates I thought were Dennis Schroeder, who shot 32.9% last year, and he'll probably be in more of a catch-and-shoot role then, I mean, he was pretty catch-and-shoot last yeah, year, too. Yeah. But uh, the other one being Scotty Barnes, who only shot 28% on threes What did Malachi year. shoot on threes last year? Uh, he did not qualify for this prop oh, because he, he just didn't shoot prop? enough. I Damn feel like if Jacoprolo shoots like a half-court like shot to beat the buzzer at the end of the half or something, he should he might be the sneaky. He goes one for one. Malachi actually saw, shot 35.3% on threes last year. No, you know, I'm calling for a 40% three-point shooting for Malachi. I believe in muscle Malachi. Damn, I bricked this, this that one, improved man. improved muscle I wanna, Malachi. I want to pick, really pick someone else. Damn it. All right. All right. Speaking of Malachi. Yeah. And Precious, actually. Uh, they are both eligible for their rookie-scale contract extensions yeah. right now. Pascal Siakam and Gary Trent are also eligible for veteran extensions. Mm. And if OG Ananobi were to decline the player option on his deal, what, I mean, technically he's extension eligible right now. Once the season starts, he's still eligible as long as he declines uh, the Bob, option Bobby's for next year. List for, for the next two weeks. I already crazy. know this question. So I cannot wait. <laughs> the, the Toronto Raptors have five players who are technically eligible for an extension. Uh, under. I'm setting the over-under at 0.5, Alex. God damn it. That's a good line. Now i got to rethink this one. Oh, my God. Here, Will, go first, man. i got to think about it. Yeah, so I'm does gonna, one I'm, I'm, player yeah, of those I'm five over, get extended? Over, over, okay. one. Well, Do you have I, a lean I, on who it might be? Uh, just pure shot in the dark. I feel like Precious should should get a good deal out of this. Four years, $32 million, something like that? Maybe that a little bit more. Be, maybe be four, low, maybe yeah. 440, 440. You know what? If you set the line at 0.5, I'm going to have to go with the over. But n- neither of you would be confident if that line were one and a half. No, that's why I thought it was a clear under because you know the Raptors treat every negotiation as a psychological warfare that lasts for half a year at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully it doesn't have to be that way, you know? <laughs> it really doesn't. Like Just extend Pascal. Do it's all good. Let's get it done during this five-minute break, man. Yeah, let's do it. Well, we are going to take that break. I've been your host, Walu. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will talk more OG Anobi and Yaka Pro. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. Me host Wayne Lou. For this segment, uh, I will be hosting uh, with my fellow co-host Blake Murphy. Uh, this is what happens when I don't look at the document for even one second. Uh, I screw up the intro reads, but it's all good. So we are going to preview uh, uh, OG Ananobi and Yaka Proto for this season. We did our expectations for Pascal Siakam yesterday. And, um, yeah, we'll start with OG. And, Blake, I guess I'll start here with you because the reports around OG, um, if you really look into those, are always that he wants more playmaking, more playmaking. And is there enough opportunity in Toronto uh, for him to showcase this this playmaking. Um, so I guess my question to you is, is there that space? And also, do you even get that sense from OG that he's like dying to be the number one guy or whatever? I get, 
yes, I get the sense that the quietest guy in the league who is notoriously short answered as a bit mm. is also the leakiest guy telling reporters that he wants uh, more role and things like that. And no, I, I'm, I don't mean to be too flippant about it because I think the truth is that every 25-year-old in the NBA who has a contract coming up on the horizon would love more of a role. And you don't get to this spot in the NBA if you don't believe in your skill set and believe in your ability to be even better and expand your role. Having said that, the playmaking specific part of it has always struck me as not in line with what we see from OG and certainly what we, I mean, the leaks are not in line with what we know about OG the person. But even if you believed that, you know, he was unhappy with a certain part of his role, the playmaking, the ball handling side of things doesn't really line up that much. Like, obviously, it's great when they give him a little bit of runway to do more of that. I'm sure he appreciates it. We've seen, you know, early, if you think back two seasons ago to when Pascal missed the chunk of time, we saw OG get to handle a little bit more and pick and roll or isolate a little bit more. The truth is, and Will, you and I discussed this a bunch over the last two years when I, when I would guess on the show, is that if you look at the history of OG Ananobi, and I think everyone knows that, that you would be hard-pressed to find a bigger OG fan than me, when he's been given more offensive role, mm -hmm. the efficiency in that role has pretty uniformly dropped off. He is a really, really great play finisher and roughly 20% usage guy where he can he can be one of those types that has, you know, a borderline 60% true shooting mark on league average usage. That's a super valuable thing. When we've seen him handle a little bit more, have a little bit more playmaking responsibility, it hasn't always come around. You know, I know that two seasons ago, he averaged two and a half assists a game. That's great. I think that's fully reasonable. I think that's something that he can do and something you can work into the offense. But this idea that OG should be or would want to be someone who is, you know, touching the ball every single position and initiating actions from the top of the floor, that has that has never really aligned with me with what we've seen from OG or, or where his best skills are. So I think there's room for him to have more offensive responsibility, but I don't think we're kind of like, I, I would be very surprised if a uh, new coach, Darko Rakovic is like rewriting the OG part of the playbook. Yeah. And I don't think anything we've seen so far in these two preseason games. Oh, by the way, I'm so happy that today's the last show we're doing with only two preseason games. Yeah. We're going to have so much fresh material for you tomorrow. They're playing an actual team today. They're playing an actual team tomorrow uh, or today. Sorry. And, and we have to, you know, break it down tomorrow. But um, yeah, I think with OG, like his role doesn't look that noticeably different from, for me, um, I don't think from Darko's comments that it seems like he's going to see this huge jump. I don't think it's going to be a big change. I think OG's really good sort of what he's doing. Um, but I did, you know, on media day, we got to interview OG, and it was it was really fun to, to hear his British accent come out. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, that rem I yeah, meant to ask him about the London Lions on Saturday. I ran out of time. This is, I'm not exaggerating here. Saturday yeah. was, it has to be the first instance that OG's group. We ran out of time and PR had to cut us off mm. because they had a meeting to go to. Wow. I had meant to ask like him. Nurse was like, oh, Kawhi lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, when I talked the about the Delaware, <laughs> or uh, the, yeah. what was it, the Idaho Stampede. Yeah, one of those, um, yeah. No, but I had meant to ask him about the uh, the London Lions. Uh, Sam Decker hooked me up with a London Lions hat. It's going to be like a... Oh, word? Yeah, oh, nice. they've got these cool corduroy hats, so uh, that'll be... Alex isn't listening to us anymore, but that'll be up there with it with some of Alex's good hats, I think. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, you should have to wear because again, not not to blow up your spot, but obviously you and OG have an existing sort of like working relationship, even dating back to you know when you know you were more closely covering the team. And so I think the thing for me is just thinking about like with OG. Um, when we had that interview, I asked him like you know, Mikel Bridges said on this interview uh, on Paul George's podcast, he was like. 
Paul was asking him, which other players do you think could transition from being this role player to being more of a feature player the way Mikel had? And Mikel himself identified OG as one of those players. Um, but I, I do think that there's going to have to be other skill jumps that change in his game, mm -hmm. right? Because for me, one of the things is I want to see OG and OB shoot a lot more threes, not only because I think he's probably the best or second best three-point shooter on their team currently, but also I think that that's where his game can grow and expand. But I was looking into it, you know, just preparing for the show today, and I was thinking about how can OG get more threes? Because it's just easy to say we get him more shots, more shots, whatever, but how can you get to those more shots? And I think it's pretty clear that OG is a guy who is a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, not mm -hmm. an off-the-dribble three-point shooter, right? And, you know, in terms of guys who average five or more catch-and-shoot threes, OG was at 4.7. I'm using the five threshold because the only six players who even got to – uh, six or more, and, and only 18 players who averaged five or more catch-and-shoot threes around the league last season. So, sorry, the guys who got six or more, so this is catch-and-shoot threes catch specifically? So specifically is, it, is it pretty much just like Clay Thompson and specialists? So it's like Clay, Markkinen, Buddy Heel, okay. Malik Beasley, Max Struess, and Tim Hardaway Jr. Those are the six players okay. who took uh, more than six catch-and-shoot threes. Markkinen's really the only one that surprises me there, just given, yep. like, the rest of those guys are spacing around elite offensive talent. Or if you're Buddy Heald, like, that is the skill you're bringing to the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think what, what's it, what's telling for me in that group of six is I would love for OG to join that group, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I wouldn't say that he's the best shooter in that group. But then again, I, I don't think he's, you know, substantially worse of a shooter than... Malik Beasley or Max Drews. Well, here's the thing, too, is that if we, like, we're talking about those guys taking six and seven catch-and-shoot attempts per game. If OG were taking more catch-and-shoot and erasing the pull-ups, mm. his percentage would be a lot higher. He shot 41% on catch-and-shoots last yeah. year. But the on catch-and-shoot threes. It's just, uh, can you do that? Can that's you what I'm saying. Higher? It's hard to scale up in that volume unless you have that extra bit of skill, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we're thinking about, in terms of getting him more, you know, threes up, he only took 0 0.8 pull-up threes per game last year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know G's not a guy who pulls up for three that often, doesn't run that many pick and rolls, for example. Um, and I think that might be a bit of a limiting factor because you even look at some of these guys, like Clay, for example, he he, he shoots 10.6 uh, threes per game. So <laughs> that means that he's, in addition to the 7.8 catch and shoots, yeah. he's also taking three pull-ups, right? You're looking at uh, Buddy Heal, he takes 2.5 pull-ups per game from three and, and six catch and shoots. You know, it's just kind of, it's that same trend onward and onward and onward. And I feel like for OG, if there's a bit of a skill jump in terms of his catch-and-shoot three-point shooting, also in terms of, like, his, his pull-up three-point shooting and also his movement off the ball, too, because I think that's one thing that Struess does a great job of. He flies around those screens and he gets those threes off. Tim Hardaway's able to do that. Buddy Heal's able to do that. Malik Beasley's able to do that. Clay's able to do that. Markin is a bit different. He's more of a pick-and-pop big. But even he comes off of screens. I think OG can get better at coming off of screens to get more shots uh, from three. And also, I think that there probably needs to be a bit more of a jump skill-wise from pull-up threes. Because right now, he's he is close almost to his ceiling in terms of how many threes he's going to get up in his current role and his current skill set. Right. And, and I just brought up the leaderboard that you have there. And yeah, among those guys who attempt six or more catch-and-shoot, Markinen is the only one who takes fewer than one pull-up attempt a game. And yep. like you said, it's because it's it's a lot of pick-and-pop stuff. So unless OG, and we don't anticipate OG playing even more of a big man role in the offense because they have yep. Jakob Pertl yep. now, it would have come last year if right. they were going to you know use him as a, a pick-and-pop guy a little bit more often. I, I guess the question comes down to two parts. And one is, you know, how badly do they need OG in the corners even more often because they just don't have a lot of spacing in that starting unit. But also, 
you know, how much can he improve as a wing catch-and-shoot guy versus a corner mm-hmm. catch-and-shoot guy? Sure. Because those are a little different as well. I, I don't know if you have those numbers handy, um, but what do you think uh, about that, just uh, uh, OG's ability to knock down from the top of the floor instead of the, the corner? I mean, the corner is definitely his best spot. Um, he's one of the most efficient, high-volume corner three-point shooters in the league already. But at the same time, you run into that scaling issue. There's only so many corner threes a team's going to allow you unless you're playing Nick Nurse's defense. You know, like, sorry, <laughs> we're going to set a career high for Nick Nurse Lander in this episode. Uh, no, but seriously, though, like, you need to be able to find other spots to be able to get to, you know what I mean? And so that's where I think for OG, like, expanding that three-point game at the top of the floor is going to be very important. And I think for him, you know, he he's a very good three-point shooter, at least from those areas. Uh, when you watch him warm up, when you're watching him in practices, he's always working on those shots. I talked to OG a little bit in the interview as well, but... He does this drill where he shoots it extra high. Like, he'll shoot a super high arcing three that's, like, maybe twice the regular arc of his regular three. And he does that just to extend his range and also to work on his touch, to practice his touch. He's got really good touch on those. And he actually mm-hmm. makes a substantial amount of those, even just walking, uh, watching him go through those warm-ups. So, I think, yeah, I mean, the expansion in, in an OG's game on offense, for me, has to come in sort of the, the way he's able to get his threes off, where he's able to get those threes off. And also sort of the skill set that he needs for that. But I think... And I, I asked yeah. this as sort of a leading question because I have last year's corner three-point shooting mm-hmm. leaders in front of me. And OG was actually tied for second in the league in corner three-point attempts per game. So if yeah. we're talking about scaling up his three-point usage, he's basically at the top of what any team asks any player. The only player who took more corner threes per game than him last year was Reggie Bullock, who mm. is spacing out around Luka Doncic, yeah, exactly. which makes a lot of right. sense, right? right? And OG, actually, prior to the trade, Mikhail Bridges was higher, right. spacing out around KD and, and Devin Booker, but that came down a little bit as he was tasked with taking more uh, above the break and pull-up. So, yeah, when you, I, I think you're right, and um, I'm glad that was your answer since I was it was a leading question anyway, mm, but like yeah, it. more agenda driven media. If it's scaling up, it show. has to be, yeah. it probably has to be above the break because guys just don't take more than two, two and a half corner three point attempts a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the defensive end, um, I guess my question to you is just, can he repeat on the all defensive teams? Yeah, I think so. I, I thought okay. it was, what I does mean, he need to do for that? Yeah. I, I mean, really, I, I do think the change in scheme could help him here where, you know, first similar to like we talked about with Pascal and all NBA, a filter that voters are going to use is who's on a good team and who's on a good defensive team, right? So if you are the best defender on a team that finishes 14th in defensive efficiency, it's hard to make a case that Mm. I'm the best defender in the world. Because what you're basically saying is this team would be so irredeemably bad on defense without me as their best defender if you're only dragging them to an average defensive level. Um, So I think the Raptors being better on that end will help. I think that a a slightly more conservative scheme is going to better highlight OG's one-on-one defending ability. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of times over the years where I understand the scheme. It's a smart scheme in terms of making things difficult for guys, funneling people into where they have the least space and your length really is maximized. However, there would be times where I'm looking at OG and an OB and I think for my money, he is one of the best one-on-one defenders in all of basketball and you're giving him so much help right and you maybe don't need to do that and i i wonder if the people who vote on these things and who are evaluating defense when they swoop in and watch a raptor game they're seeing og get a lot of help and it looks more like a team defensive system than og's individual stuff like yes leading the league in steals being near the top of the league in deflections those things are important and those things will repeat but i really do think based on what we've heard and what we've seen so far in a really small sample is that 
OG and everyone really, they're going to be trusted a little bit more to defend their man. This is something you and I asked Darko about on Saturday mm-hmm. at practice is just, yeah, trust your defensive personnel, trust all that size that you have. It's not just useful for like wild closeouts and traps. It's also useful because it makes you difficult to score over yeah. one-on-one. Yeah. So um, I, I think that could help there. I, I think the thing OG's always going to have going in his favor too is, um, and I've pulled numbers on this before and, you know, asked people on the data side to, to help me try to quantify this. He is regularly the most versatile defender in the NBA yep. in terms of guarding one through five. Now, that probably only happens when Jakob is off the floor this year. It's probably more of a one through four thing this year. But he is regularly not only guarding the best players, but only a small handful of guys can guard the best player, whether it's a one, a two, or three, or four. Yeah. I mean, like when we play Philly, we'll see him guard James Harden, and then we'll see him guard Joel Embiid. Like that was a pretty typical thing that would happen. I mean, shoot, seasons. he might need to guard Tyrese Maxey too. We'll, we'll see how no, Dennis no, no. We got, holds we got, up. We got Dennis for that. We yeah. got Dennis for that now. We actually have somebody as quick as... Tyrese, which I feel like is is going to be hopefully pretty impactful in that matchup because, uh, yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of uh, concerns about Maxley playing against them. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, I, I agree. I think hearing Darko talk about um, essentially he wants to – he doesn't want to throw out the, the, the whole defensive scheme. He doesn't want to hold on to the fact that the Raptors should be a team that is very high in deflections. He actually wants to see even more deflections than last year. And I think for OG, that just really helps. I mean, OG was at 3.6 deflections per game last year. That was second in the league, mm-hmm. just behind Fred at 3.8. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, if, if you're telling me OG got even more deflections, there's so many opportunities for him to do what I would say is probably the signature OG play, which is the pick six. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's very good at those. So, um, I mean, look, once you make the defensive teams, you know, you, you do keep that reputation for a while. Well, but we know that all defense voting, you know, not universally, but we've heard people who vote on these things. We've heard people who talk about it a lot at the league level, not the team level. You know, it's sometimes a year behind, right? Like, it mm-hmm. takes you a little bit for okay. that reputation to stick. In this case, it's five years behind, but it's yeah. all good. But also, like, good. look, and, and it's not... OG should have made an all-defensive team before this point. Like, I think it was 2019-2020 where he didn't make it, and one of the arguments was he only played 69 games. But then you look... I thought the argument was, oh, but there's so many great defenders on that team. How could you just pick one? Yeah, maybe it was that. And then there was, like, the but Matisse Teibel made it and played way fewer minutes than OG. It's so funny because when I interviewed OG, OG actually brought up the fact that it's like, well, you know, Philly had multiple guys like Matisse and Ben. Yeah, it. Boston always has a, cu- a couple right. guys getting those votes. Yeah, um, sure. Look, he he played 48 and 43 games the last two years, respectively. Okay, fine, that, fine, that probably fine. That probably fine. hurt his case. But I, I think on merit, he should have been there by now. And yeah. I think that, yeah, there was an inertia to now you've been on those teams. Um, the big factor, though, is going to be if the Raptors are a good defensive right. team or not. Um, let me ask you this. Well, I know we're going to pivot to Jakob Pertl in a sec. Um OG Ananobi can opt out at the end of the season and become yeah. a free agent. The Raptors could work out an extension with him before then, but the rules around what you can give him in an extension are a little tough. He can get a 40% raise, which is a very significant raise, but it's also something that he might look at that number and say, hey, that's my, you know, I can come back to that in free agency. Mm. I want to, you know, bet on myself and see if the, the percentages go up and another all defense and things like that. Uh, do you see... Any scenario where the Raptors and OG don't take this to free agency in the summer? I mean, I, I could see something, you know I mean? Like, I, I do feel like there are other ways to sort of promise a player besides the money. Um, but are the Raptors actually in that position right now? I don't really think so. No, and I think OG is in a really strong free agency position. It's not a strong class. It upcoming. is not. And, you know, if I, if I see sort of like 
to some of the contracts that are being put out there. I, if I'm OG, I, I know I'm better than some of these other players who are getting paid. So um, it's a lot of money. But I mean, at the same time, I, I'd be pretty happy if uh, if the Raptors were somehow able to sweet talk him into actually signing that extension. We'd be, be very thrilled on the show, which will be more OG and Ananobi interviews, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so essentially, based on what we're talking about here, it sounds like we're, we want OG to be better as a 3D player. <laughs> That's the role that we see for him. Yeah, and look, we we need to we need a new term for 3 and D. Like, I think okay. the 3-and-D term came along when we were trying to, as like a basketball media community, get people to appreciate defensive value. Mm. And like so many guys have like, exp- like OG averaged 16, 17 points a game. And we're talking about he he averaged 2.4 corner three attempts. Like he's doing more than yeah, yeah, 3 yeah, and D. Yeah. It's yeah. just he's so good defensively, it's hard not to define his role that way. Right. But yeah, we need some sort of like, Super three and D classification that's, somehow. That's fair, but I mean the number number one and two in terms of priorities for what we need from him this year are three and D. Um, let's pivot over to Jakob, who I think has probably more of an expanded role. Uh, well, certainly not going to check off the three part of that uh, that definition. Two for four in his career on three pointers. I'm surprised he's taking four. They might be half court shots. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just start here in terms of just like uh, obviously he's going to be used in a more featured role under what Darko wants to do. Um, and especially without that much depth behind him, do you feel like Jakob is quietly like one of the top three most irreplaceable players on the Raptors roster just based on how they want to play this season? Probably, and, and a big part of that is not only, you know, who is like the lack of a, a natural fill-in behind him, but it's also that if he's not there stylistically, you are looking different, right? You are going to try to expand Precious Achua's ability to work some of that elbow handoff stuff. Um, maybe you have Precious, you know, drop back a little bit more in his, but you're, you don't want to neutralize Precious Achua. You don't really want Precious to drop back. Like his no, advantage is that he's quick and he's strong. And you can switch one through five. Big. And yeah. OG even said as much that, you know, when I was talking to him the other day, that yeah, they're they're not one through five with Jakob on the floor anymore, but mm. probably if Precious is out there, you would still at least have the option to switch everything in. Right. You know, we've seen Precious, we've seen Precious switch onto a James Harden type before, sure, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. do an okay right. job on the perimeter. So you don't want to take that away. But I, I, so I think not only is it important because there isn't a natural fill-in, but stylistically, if he were to go out, you're pretty dramatically changing what your setup looks like. Or you're either asking a Boucher or an Achua or someone like that to play a style that is atypical to their strengths, or you're just going to a different style of play, which right. every team has to do over 82, of course. But if he misses, you know, if he doesn't play like 72, 70 games or something like that, um, you know, how this all looks and how the yeah. pieces fit together changes significantly, which is which is kind of an odd spot to be in for a guy who, you know, has never taken double-digit field goal attempts in a year or, yeah. you know, averaged 30 minutes in a game. He He is like way more important than the box score will will suggest at any point. Yeah, you know, and I think that especially with the coaching change, like every single thing that Darko wants to come in and do is something that Jakob already really excels at. And so I am kind of concerned. Like even just seeing him, he's probably not going to play today because, you know, he's he's been out with COVID, although that's not confirmed. But, I mean, if I just had to guess. Yeah, we'll just call it an illness. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, right. Uh, that's, that's what the official lines are for these things. But, I mean, like realistically – um. Yeah, if you don't have him in the roster, it just changes so much, so so much of what you want to see. Like I thought, even the quality of execution from uh, what they did against Sacramento versus what they did against Cairns, there was a huge drop off without Jakob on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I think that's gonna be really important. And look, the Spurs were not very good last year. 
Um, but they were up there in terms of like assist rate and passes and player movement mm. uh, off. Mm. The, I mean, they, we don't separate on and off the ball when we look at the numbers, but overall movement on offense. So, you know, Jakob averaging 27, 28 minutes a game there for a team that ended up grading really high in some of those areas. There is a real familiarity there. You're not asking like last year down the stretch, you were asking Jakob to do things that he wasn't particularly used to doing now it's more you you're not redesigning the system because you have Jakob Pertl, but he suits it a lot better than and last year he didn't suit it perfectly and was still a huge impact on both ends of the floor yeah I also loved uh as soon as we got Jakob in I mean first of all we, we did a lot of Jakob interviews um <laughs> including on this show and you know he just had these comments where he was again like Jakob is not trying to sneak this anything but he was just kind of like yeah there's so much of the defense I got to get used to because it's a lot of like you know gambling and and being all out aggressive. And you could tell it was just like, yeah, he doesn't want to play like this. <laughs> it's not really suiting uh, his basketball sensibilities or even his skill set. But yeah, I mean, I think this year, I think it'll fit a lot better. Um, what else are you looking to see from Jakob this year? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about it a little bit with the prop uh, that that I threw out there in terms of, hey, are his assists going to be up over 3.1, which, which is where he was at with the Spurs last yeah. year. Okay. There is more to the dribble handoff and running through the high post than just the assist total, as mm-hmm. you kind of laid out when I threw that prop at you. But I am curious to see what his playmaking looks like. You know, is it is it strictly in the handoff and the direct pass? Does he show a little bit more flair that, you know, you, you got to go back maybe to the bench mob years when him and Pascal had that, that connectivity to right. for some of the the more flair to the passing. Um, the other thing would be, and, and this isn't a, a huge, huge deal given what his role is going to be, but I do wonder, you know, how much he has tried to extend the range beyond 10 feet no, at all. Oh, come on. I mean, if you're if you constantly have the ball 17 feet from the basket, yeah, and you're not you know, you're not a put it on the floor kind of guy, and your range only extends to 10 feet, there are kind of like seven or eight unnavigated feet there uh, mm. that, you know, you can only do the the deep floater push shot from so far out. Um, I'm not saying, you know, David West style, 17 foot assassin, mid-range jumpers, yeah. but I do wonder if, you know, he's added a little bit more to take advantage of if teams try to snuff out the, the dribble handoff. I think that's where you try to transfer that space through that handoff and that screen to whoever the guard or the forward or the wing, whoever is coming in to receive the ball um, and have that person try to attack that space. But, I mean, I just don't think that under Darko, they want to shoot many mid-range shots at all. You know, like I was... No, I mean, they they shouldn't, right? Like, they're... Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is the... The mid-range game is not dead, but to use a Seth Partnowism, it is the domain of superstars now. Mm-hmm. That's the space that you use because if you're breaking your guy down one-on-one, you got to have that in your bag. Yeah. And that's not an inefficient shot for DeMar DeRozan or Kevin Durant. Right. But yeah, you don't want guys spotting up for 18-footers. No, and I think uh, I was listening to the press conferences yesterday and Eric Kareen, uh, you know, your Raptors reasonableist uh, co-host uh, over the Athletic um brought this point up but he was like i think there was like five mid-range jumpers in the kings game and like three in the cans game so yeah i mean if, if there's anybody who's gonna be allowed to shoot mid-range it'll be pascal it'll be gary it'll be um probably a little bit of scotty Scottie. yeah yeah gary probably the most actually around some of these actions sure. obviously he's not Especially starting he's right wrong. now but when he's on the floor with Jakob, yeah uh he's the one guy who i think could right. you know generate some some direct shot off the handoff kind of stuff but it's not gonna be Jakob. it's just no. not gonna be Jakob. i would be yeah. very surprised if he took one in 10 mid-range push floaters or whatever. He Also, is, can he get better at the free throw shooting? 
I mean, it's a huge ask. I know it's a, he's been long in his career, but... Look, is it a huge ask? He, he's at 53.6% for his career. That is, like, among the worst players in all of basketball. Okay. I, I, very... I just want to see Hakayak, you know? We saw, like, maybe once or twice. I know the math is, on it isn't always that great, but uh, it, it does come up as a strategy. And, uh, I mean, you just... Yeah, I mean, there's clearly room yeah. for improvement there. Yeah, the cutoff is about 57%. Um, okay. shooting-wise, shooting where the math then tilts against hacking. Now, we, you could go into the scenarios and stuff like that. Like, the Raptors' half-court offense last year, the cutoff point was way lower. Like, Jakob yeah. could shoot 50% from the free-throw line. It was still a good outcome for the Raptors' <laughs> yeah, half-court offense last year. Um, you know, generally speaking, though, about 57% is what you got to clear. He was a 59.2% free-throw okay. shooter right. last year, but it, you'd love for that to be, like, that's com- that's, comfortably that's, in the 60s. Yeah. That's a that's a D minus. Yeah, could you get to a C plus? No, no, probably I mean, not. I, but, but you could get to a C minus, maybe. Well, I mean, I, I, it's clearly something he is willing to work on. Obviously, he's he's shifted to the one handed free throw mm-hmm. uh, approach. I think that took place when he got to San Antonio at some point. I just haven't really seen like the progress on it so much. You know what I mean? So, um, in any case, I, that's just more of a secondary thing. He's not shooting that many free throws, but I would love uh, if you were more reliable on that front. Is there anything else you want to see from Jakob before we go to break? Um, not particularly. I am curious, um, to our point earlier when we were talking about Scotty Barnes and his defensive rebounding, I'm, I'm pretty curious how that all plays out in terms of you have a guy back there who is more naturally a defensive rebounder, who is going to be by scheme closer to the bucket. Yep. Um, is that a big boost for, you know, not that Jakob would need a, a big boost. He averaged nine rebounds a, a game once he came over last year, but is that something that we see materialize only because Jakob Pertl's there and the numbers are better? Or does the entire defensive ecosystem allow everyone to grab defensive rebounds a little bit better? And the, the Raptors were right around league average mm. defensive rebounding last year. Well, they I struggled think, to start and then yeah, they got better as the year went Yeah, on. and I think they, they finished like a hair below league average, but it would be nice for that to be a strength as well because we talk about the, the possession game, right, and how many more shooting possessions they took than opponents last year. Mm-hmm. If they're going to turn the ball over a little bit more because they're passing more and they're going to force maybe a few less turnovers because they're not as aggressive, you want to make up some of that on the defensive glass. So I'm curious how Yak's impact and, and the style change kind of cascades down to other people's rebounding. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, with Jakob expectation wise, just for Jakob personally, expect to be requested by the media a lot. You're already a fan favorite. All right. In terms of the media request process, when, you know, they come to practice and the PR guy comes over and like, if usually Phil usually feels like, all right, who do you guys want? Jakob is typically in that top three. So Jakob, um, you know, get ready to speak more to the media. Because uh, we do we do love hearing your insights. But we're going to take that quick break. Been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou, joined for the final segment by my co-hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. Alex has volunteered a run point uh, on a bunch of nicknames around the NBA and also some other sort of <laughs> topics around the NBA. So, Alex, what do you have for us, man? Yeah, what's up, dogs? Great segment there on OG and Jakob Pertl. And this is the one thing we talked about for our show this year. Obviously, adding Blake, expanding to two hours, going to do try to do more like NBA coverage as well, mm-hmm. just to break up the rhythms and stuff. So this is one of our first around the NBA segments. But, you know, Jakob's nickname, I believe this was bestowed to him from Fred, right? Yes. Is the Big Ugly. 
Yes, <laughs> but it was not officially the next. Because again, oh, okay. In one of our three previous interviews, one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews, with you Yanko, asked him about this. I actually played the clip for him because it, it came up in an open gym um, segment where, yeah, after the Kawhi trade, obviously Jakob went in that deal. So the first time mm. the Raptors were in San Antonio, uh, the bench mob went for dinner with Jakob at some steakhouse uh, in, in San Antonio. And Fred walked up to him, and he was like, yo, big ugly. When I was like, all right, come mm. on, this can't be the nickname. But also, you know, it could be. So Yeah, so, you know, around the locker room, they, they call him big ugly. And to me, that's just one of the worst nicknames that you can be uh, that's, that's pretty tough. given. Yeah. So I did do a, do a quick search, you know, during the break on, on basketball reference. So I wanted to just hit you guys up with these and just get your thoughts on it. One of my favorites, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, one of his nicknames is Mookie Doo. Oh, I thought yeah. you were going to say the president. Was yeah, it? the president is on that there, there okay. too. No thoughts on that? Okay, that's great, guys. Yeah, that Appreciate the help. Um, what does that even mean? I, don't, I, I, I have no idea, actually, what the reference is. Um, Kelly Oubre, Tsunami Poppy. All right. Because he's wavy. Because he's wavy. No, because he's wavy. No, nope, this is also But not he's hitting. super wavy. Yeah. He's so wavy that it's like a natural disaster level of wavy. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> is that, is that, by is that the implication? Way, I, okay. I think my take on this one would be that yeah. Tsunami is just a better nickname than ha adding Poppy to the end. Like, I think mm. I think oh, that jumped the shark okay. pretty quickly you know after, after, yeah. after Drake yeah. came up. Put, right. some, put some respect on a, a, one of the 58 20-point scores from That's last correct. season, guys. <laughs> the Sixers signed a 20-point score for the minimum. That's right. The league minimum. Unbelievable. James Harden, I know everybody knows he's the beard, but mm. he, on, on Basketball Reference, he's also he also goes by El Chapo. Uh, Jimbo Slice, reference to yeah. Kimbo Slice, because mm. he's got the similar look. And also Honey Bun. Yeah. Yeah. Those so, are pretty good. Honey Bun is great. Actually, this Pretty is my favorite. Honey Bun's a tough one, though, because all I think about is when Carmelo clapped at that guy on Twitter and called him a Honey Bun looking. Oh, yes. Right, the, right. Donuts gla uh, yeah. the, the donut glazed. Uh, yeah. 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 Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, well, my favorite. What's the Canadian actually, equivalent of that, by the way? Because we don't have uh, that up here. Well, it's it's like when um, didn't someone call our mayor a Timbit or something? Oh, that's yeah. correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's nice. I like that. I don't know if I'm supposed to be pro or anti-mayor here. Anyways, <laughs> I'm only <laughs> the only mayor I rep is John Mayor. Um, my favorite, my okay. favorite of these is Joel Embiid. Have you guys heard this one? The Phantom of the Process. Yeah, I That's, dig uh, it. Yo, really? I, I love. Who this came one. up with that? Like, what's um, the origin? There? When he was wearing the face mask. Oh. And he had the win. And it, right. like, obviously, if you wear a dark one of those, it kind of looks like the right. Phantom of the Opera mask or whatever. And yeah, I think he I think he gave that one to himself. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. I was a Phantom of the third round because he's oh. never been there. Oh. Oh. Well, it's the first time that Joel Embiid's been funny. So that's good. Um. Okay. So, anyways, that's enough of the nicknames. Yeah. Well, we I think originally we tried to do some like Raptors nicknames officially on, on yeah. Last Reference. And I believe like. 16 of the 20 players currently on the Raptors roster like didn't have a nickname listed. <laughs> we have less nicknames than uh, franchise triple doubles. Is that it what you're tough. telling me right now? Here's the thing, it though. Was tough. When you have a team with guys named Pascal Siakam, OG mm. Ananobi, mm. like, do you really need... like? I remember there was a time on Raptors Twitter where people were trying to come... Like, trying to force... P skills or spicy P is a nickname. And obviously those are like sub nicknames. They're not his regular nickname, mm. but they're, oh, they're okay. in there. But like people would want a nickname for OG Ananobi. It's like his first name is already a nickname you would give someone. Yeah. Like he OG's already, already has, sick, yeah. you're not going to top OG as a name. Pascal yeah. Siakam is like the only guy who's going to have that other than, I guess, Eric Pascal. Um, that's, guess, that's, yeah, uh, sure. that's about like Grady Dick does not need a nickname. So that's that's what you're going to run into with... Uh, I'm surprised Gary Trent Jr. doesn't have one, though, honestly. He seems like a nickname guy. Yeah, I'm going to look it up, but he does not have a nickname listed on Basketball Reference. We got to give Gary a nickname? 
Yeah, we need to find that. But he way, might be he might be tsunami poppy. I, I forgot Olivia Chow's the mayor now. Shout out to Olivia Chow. Oh, you support Olivia? Yeah, yeah for mayor. Are you just googling who are my politicians right now? Because yeah. we talk about this. That's the level of civic engagement we can expect. Come on, guys. Yo, I seen Olivia Chow biking uh, along Dundas as I'm right behind her. You know, shout out <laughs> to Olivia. Is she man. also on a city bike. Shout like to you. the shout out to the big O. Um, but like. Yeah, so those are the nicknames, but wanted to bring you guys this too. There was a uh, New York Magazine feature mm. on NBA Insider, Shams Sharania, uh, this week that really dove into his lifestyle and, and you know, what his day-to-day is like. So I just wanted to give you guys four to five tidbits here, and then you guys can pick your favorite, what you guys want to talk about. Number one, at one point during the interview, to avoid smearing the screen with strawberry jam on his thumb, he used his nose to get... He said that he's used his nose to get a text off before. So Shams has text with his nose before. Okay, okay but why? Uh, because, like, he doesn't want to, like, sometimes if he's eating, like, he, he just, like, he'll do... And by any means necessary, he'll get the text off. Look. What about voice yeah. to text? You man? can just wipe your hands here? or use voice to text, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So you guys are not At feeling... How long is this text? You, you can even pink, with your nose. You could even pinkies out. if you Like, no one uses their pinky in the process of eating. You could pinkies out text. Okay, so you're saying... Okay, I like that. I like that. Um, the other thing is... Uh, so what if you smear your phone? Just wipe it afterwards. I'm so confused. That's, uh, sorry, keep going. Next up is, you know, he... Um, the writer of, of the feature saw that Shams has 125 unheard voicemails, mm. 72,440 three unread emails yeah um and he also uh sham says that he averages 18 hours of screen time yeah a day so i don't know how often you guys remember the screen time alert that you guys get each week like last week i think oh, I, I turned averaged, that off the first time it ever came up last week i think i averaged about 10 hours they told me 10 hours a day so i just wanted to see if you guys had any comps for that because 18 hours 18 hours is, 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 is way too much on another level um, yeah that's why like people who do intermittent fasting are like oh i'll only eat during <laughs> six hours of the day yes. and then i'll not eat that's like shams <laughs> is the inverse of that but he, for screen time. shams also added that when he goes on vacation he prefers to do poolside sit and do nothing vacations at which point he still has to be on his phone and he says that at that point he gets his screen time down to 12 to 13 hours and he says quote i think that's a win so mm. Yeah, um, I don't think I've even during the like deep, deep, deep pandemic where it was like I've done nothing and seen nobody for the like two months. Mm. I, I still don't think I got up to eighteen <laughs> hours of screen time. I feel like at some point you got. You're sleep. a big sleeper though. Like you I sleep in sleeper. pretty late. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know if you've had eighteen hours of like eyes open time. But honestly, it's, it's been a while. This guy's um, Mr. Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Yo, we're gonna come uh, up with nicknames for this. Why? Why don't you guys sleep? Can we also How call you your lives? Can we also call you the Big Ugly, my brother? Okay, so uh, can I ask you guys this? In terms of the unread emails, yeah, are yeah. you guys inbox like, zero? I'm inbox zero. I'm inbox. I, I will occasionally what? have read wow. emails well, in there. Not- like right now. I'm working on a piece with Grange, so yeah. I have like the email in the inbox that we've been going back and forth sure. on, but it's red. It's not a notification on I, my phone. I don't I don't want to put I don't want to put Willu on blast. No, but put me on blast. Right he's now. notorious at this company for not answering email. Yeah, mm-hmm. to your yeah. point, my, my just my work email alone. Just my Rogers work email. So I've been here for like two and a two and a bit years. Nine thousand one hundred and thirty unread emails. I gotta be honest. In the work I, email. My work email was like basically untouched, and so I started this show with you guys. You guys <laughs> using my work email instead of my personal oh, email is. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't. I didn't. No, I don't. I don't care. Invade your work Now I now I know that it's it's there. Yeah. Yeah. So like, do you think if I if I hit Shams with an email right now, do you think it ever gets read? This is my question with having that many unread. by the pool or eating jam, apparently. And Will, I guess this is a better question for you. Like, once you hit a critical mass of unread emails, how do you even tell if you have an email anymore? 
for me, that number is like five. Like if I have 500 emails, I'm like, I might as well have 100. So might as well have 9,120. Anyone this, else in the Rogers company, I'm sorry, I haven't got back to you. This is why I manage his life. Um, uh, a lot of uh, longtime NBA front office execs also contributed. They all contributed anonymously um, to this story. Okay. And gotcha. they, one of the things, before we get to, I guess, maybe a more serious thing, uh, one of the execs says that he gets a happy Father's Day text from Shams every year. Uh, which he presumes is being sent to every single dad in the league. Uh, another executive said he once got a message. He gets a message from Shams every Labor Day <laughs> saying, Happy Labor Day. Is okay. this okay? Is now, this, if you're, if you're sending on. that to Garrett Temple, if you're sending that to Garrett Temple and CJ <laughs> yeah. McCollum, I get it. Is this uh, good networking or is this no. too much? No, no. I think it's got to have we, a. Where are, we, where are we drawing the line here? Any, Labor Day? No. Anything, Labor Day is nuts. Yeah. I don't care about the holiday. Labor Day is, is too far, but mm. to me, it's. Anything that could conceivably be read as this is a mass text that I'm receiving, yeah. it has to have a personal touch. Like, don't get me That's wrong, right. I, I have mm. I have messaged people who have you messaged someone Happy Labor Day? Yeah, you like have. hey Labor wow. King. Uh, no, I have not messaged someone <laughs> hey, Happy Labor, Labor Day. King. I uh, get of those, all days, don't bother get me. Get those Labor one Day. and a half times yeah. paid hours. Yeah. Garrett Temple, give me your number. I'll text you about labor labor uh -huh. issues and Happy Labor Day. But no, I think you. It has to. It has to have a personal touch. It has, hey, if you're going to send a happy Father's Day, you got to mention the kids or something like that, something mm, personal that you, right, right. like, I don't know if I, there are lots of fathers in the Raptors organization. If, mm -hmm. if on Father's Day, whenever that is, I send a text to all of them that just says happy Father's Day exclamation right. point, mm -hmm. and I send it off, like, I don't know, to me, that would mean nothing if it's like happy Father's Day, hope you and, I don't know, child X and child Y mm. ha have a nice day or something like that. That at least shows me a little bit more that you actually do value our, our personal relationship and there's a, an element of personal to it versus transactional of, hey, happy Labor Day. Thanks, man. You too. Okay, so what are you hearing about this? I like that. And the other mm. strategy that one exec pointed out is that he said, quote, Shams will text you 20 times in an hour to a point where he wears guys down and you just want him to leave you alone. So mm. it just gets to the point where they're like, oh, man, here, just take this. Like, this is where Kelly Oubre is going. Like, so so what do you think about this strategy of yeah. just wearing a person down with volume? He's I, a volume shooter. I feel like we have to say that um, Shams makes more than all three of us combined in this room. <laughs> and, and this behavior um, is, is largely... Uh, one of the reasons behind it, like it turns also got him where he is. No, right? no, like I, from the real GM yes. starting days in high school, yes. like this is how he had to operate. All jokes, as all, an all jokes aside, like yeah. I am getting to the larger point of like I know from for an average person they might look at this as like wild behavior, but there's a reason why Shams and Woj are the only two people at that level doing mm. what they do. Right? And like, look, I've to kind of go behind the curtain here, I've had mm -hmm. to explain to people before, like listeners or readers or whatever, hey, how come these guys get scoops and, and people on the Raptors beat don't? And, and yeah. part of it is that where, mm -hmm. you know, we have to pay a little bit more attention to the longer-term relationship there um, with, with individuals where I don't want to text a source that I have 20 times in a row. But right. the bigger thing is, and I think this is probably where you're going, is like there is an a power broker element to this that you can't replicate if you only have information around one team. Right. Whereas, right. you know, the three of us or Doug Smith or Michael Grange, we could tell you what you need to know from inside the Raptors organization. But if us, if the source you're talking to is then like, okay, well, what are you hearing on the Utah Jazz front and extension for Laurie Markkinen? Mm. Like, I don't know, whatever they said on Salt City Tribune or whatever the, the Jazz blog is, like that's uh that's a huge part of this and i assume that's where you were, were going eventually yeah. is like the power broker nature of this is like borderlines yeah. on 
you know, we, we got to maybe throw some questions up here, but it's a, it's a real part of how they get this stuff is it's like a chicken or the egg. They get all this stuff because they have so much information. So they get information because they already have so much information. Yeah. And I think this is interesting to talk about too, because like, I know, I know before you joined our show, like Will and I talked about this over the summer too, just like relationships between how fans look at like media and how information is moving now. And in the story too, you know, a, um, another front office executive says sometimes, you know, Woj and Shams will hit them up and let them know that hey you uh don't don't get don't get tied up to player x he's not going to get an offer from this other team so there's like a lot of information trading that ends up They're happening like the 30th 31st and 32nd gms in the league yeah like it starts benefiting the the teams as well right because they're getting fed this information and i know that some people read this story and, and had an issue with that i mean i think this is a bigger conversation but like when you were talking about uh access journalism um like this is you it's different than I think other forms of journalism. I really do think mm -hmm. so. There's a yeah. lot more information trading. Um, there's a lot more agencies involved, sort of directly involved at times. Um, same thing on the management side. And so uh, it's not the same as like, you know, your average, I guess, reporter. And I'm not even trying to ascribe any judgment. I really don't care. This is not something that um, is something that affects any sort of integrity in a meaningful way. It's not a mm -hmm. political story. It's not. Even a news story most of the time, we're talking about um, you're going to get a scoop and five minutes later the PR release is going to hit and everyone's mm -hmm. going to get the scoop, right? But in that five minutes, does it really matter to me? Um, it does very much matter to them and it matters to people on the internet. And so there is a game that you have to play. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, do people really want to know how reports are made at this level? I don't know, man. We we just went through a couple summers of Looney Dogs down at, at Rogers Center. Uh, for Jay's games, do people are people asking how that's made? No, they just want the easily consumable content that... You're uh, looking at the guy just... Yeah. I just want the sausage. No, I don't care how it's made, brother. I feel very much like Will does. And, and look, each person individually would have to draw a line, you know, ethically or journalistic standards or whatever. You know, I probably would not feel comfortable, you know... Do, saying something or, or providing information that maybe hurts someone's negotiations. Like, I don't think that's my spot in it, but my paycheck is also not dependent on me having all this information yeah, sure, and being sure. first on this stuff. You know, my paycheck is more based on saying ni hao a, a certain <laughs> amount of times that is now stipulated in my contract and, you know, providing the analysis. Like, you uh, can look back, it. to, to use an example... Um, you know, you can look back the last time, I don't know, some Raptor signed a contract extension or yeah. whatever, or the Raptors included a pick in a, in a trade or whatever. Go look and I'll have the contract details or what that pick is, like the specifics of that, not right. long after. And right. for me, in my role, that is the more valuable part of that than being first. But I don't know how... I would change my approach and how that would differ for me if Sportsnet came and was like, Blake, all we want from you this season is you got to be first on everything. Right. Mm, like that yeah. would fundamentally change, especially, you know, they, they referenced some potential Shams figures in there, especially if that was the, the salary number attached to it, you know? Yeah. yeah, once again, Shams is a very uh, well-compensated man. Also, to, um, to give Blake his flowers, man, I, I remember, you know, one of the most important players in franchise history who contributed towards the title, Fred Van Vliet. The first one who had that rapport was Blake Murphy at Raptors Republic. Yeah, mm. it's ac accidental scoop. What's well, accidental I mean, scoop? It's like, What's the that, story there? That's one of those ones mm. of, like, right place, right time. Of, like, oh, okay. you're having a conversation with, I mean, 
yeah, yeah, I sure. could say at the this source. point, yeah. with Fred Van Vliet. Oh, okay. Oh, like, okay. Nice. But nice. like, I'm the only media member at that summer league game. So you're or telling whatever. me Fred did buy the media, like even yeah. as far back as yes, 2016 I when got he was undrafted. Such a huge cut of his fifty thousand dollar Exhibit Ten bonus. That's probably that's probably bigger than your salary at RR. Yeah, oh, it's definitely <laughs> oh, bigger than that. But Exhibit Ten sounds like a Jay Electronica song. You might get that reference. Anyway, it's the last question from this article, and this um, I'm gonna direct this to to Will first because Will, you're a, you're a pickup basketball king. We all what? know this. Uh, Shams, um, Shams uh, stopped playing pickup basketball for six months after he missed an urgent tip about the Boston Celtics potentially firing Ime Udoka. So he stopped playing pickup ball because uh-huh. he missed that one tip and he yeah. wasn't first well, th- on it. This is easy for Will. You just foul out quick enough to still get that news. <laughs> what, what would it, what would know it, you got to call your own fouls and no one's going to foul it, me out. I'm calling your own fouls. Yeah, Will thinks he's playing football. He's on the court. <laughs> yeah. What would it take for you to give up Pick up ball. What would you have to miss? I think work-life balance is pretty important. Oh, here we go. Um, here we and, go. you know, again, like, obviously, none of us have operated anywhere on this level. But I, I do think that, for me, like, if something's going to take away from my enjoyment of the sport of basketball, it's going to have to really be, like, a family member <laughs> or something that really, like, <laughs> needed me to not do that. So, um, no, I mean, that's So, you're run. willing to miss a few scoops. No, here's the thing. To what, play what, ball. I'm willing, what I'm willing to miss my Tuesday run for, which I do have one, I guess, tonight, but I'm going to miss it because the Raptors are playing. That's the only time I miss my, you know, my, my, mm. my couple of runs. Ooh, okay. I'm, doing a, I'm doing a watch the first half PVR, the second half tomorrow morning tonight. What? I got a concert. Really? Yeah. Rare Working, one wow, for me. Work Life King, Blake Murphy. Now, I've never what, said this before the, in my once life. Once the regular wow. season starts, I don't do that, but it's a preseason game. I figure I can watch the really? second half when I get home after. Who's playing? Pup? The Wonder Years. Okay. Oh, I'll be listening to the React Pod. Um, first segment tomorrow will be Will and Blake recapping the game. Um, yes, last... I will have watched it by no, then, no, to be course, clear. No, no, of course, of course, of course. A few minutes left here, so just one more topic for you guys. Uh, friend of the program who's never come on the program, Zach Lowe. Uh, released, started releasing his league pass rankings today. We did press them in real life, by the way. Yeah. The Toronto Raptors came in at 28th ahead of only the Detroit Pistons and Washington Wizards. Do you guys think this is a fair league pass ranking for the Toronto 28th. Raptors? They are the third least what, what, did, attractive team to watch on league pass, according was to there a reason? Zach Lowe. Was there a reason? It's a game? blend of team quality, aesthetics to the team, right. your court, your broadcast, no, I, I don't, all I mean, this like, stuff. Did, did he, like write a reason for this because i'd be very curious to see what it was it was mostly I, just like oh they still have these same players same questions <laughs> <laughs> like we know who og Ananobi is we know who pascal siakam is might be a little bit more fun with darko now in charge yeah, yeah. and that's about it uh i mean I, I i i hear him from that perspective um i'm obviously very biased because i'm very willing to watch any raptors basketball whether it's summer league or preseason or regular season. So, you know, I'm always going to say the Raptors are watchable. But I think the goal, is, or I think what this reflects is what Masai said in the last year at the press conference where he said, I did not enjoy watching this team. Like, Masai had the Raptors 30th on the league pass <laughs> rankings for last year, so I can't really blame Zach for doing How this. How many games do you think Masai but, watched last year? No, come on. That's <laughs> a different that. conversation. We're not going to go there. Um, but, but for Zach, like, he has so many connections in the Raptors organization. Not to blow up his spot, but, like, at Summer League, I saw him talk to every single member of the, like, like front office extended. You so, know what I mean? So, I'll say this. Wow. That's, the a, Raptors, that's a tough statement. The Raptors being below the Bulls is tough. Uh, regular season Miami Heat are not that enjoyable to watch. Playoff Miami Heat, like, big game Miami Heat are enjoyable to watch. But mm-hmm. for 82 games, you don't need it as much. And then I think them being s- several spots behind the Charlotte Hornets, uh, I like LaMelo, and I understand the court is cool and the jerseys are cool, yeah. but, like, that is 
an overemphasis in the formula, I think, on how cool the court is. The only time you need to watch the Charlotte Hornets is on NBA Central. The headlines yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, I mean. They do have really good broadcasts, though. Do they have a good yeah. broadcast? The Hornets? You, you, you like a guy yeah. screaming at you, though? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's fun. You would love watching a game I, with me in, think, in, the, in the booth. Then. <laughs> I think they would be, uh, yeah, I can, I can hear you from the row below where I sit, by the way. Um, You're free to sit with us. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Lebon was in my uh, was in that extra wow, seat. no, come on. Uh, come on. No, we can always. We have like, we can there's like five seats. We can figure it out. I'm, I'm comfortable where I am. That's your booth, man. Yeah. You're, uh, Cal- you're Horn- Calvin Booth, my brother. The Hornets broadcast, though, I think they're one of those ones, if they were good, that broadcast would not be as fun. But for a bad team that you're just mm. checking out, you know, six, seven times over the course of the year on League Pass. All right. Yeah. Fine. All right. Yeah. We've run out of time. Oh, do they eat doubles on the broadcast? Like our man, Matt Devlin. So uh, play in play in preseason revenge game tonight. Mm. Raptors are in Chicago. That's right. And uh, yeah, that's it. No daughters allowed near the free throw <laughs> okay. line. She got to be. Yeah. It's nah, school, if school I'm started, Rosen, man. She's busy, man. I told you this. I told you the story on the show. But uh, last year after that playing game, and I was obviously pretty upset, finished recording the episode. Went downstairs to, from upstairs where I record, all the way to the event level to, to go to the locker rooms. The first person I see as I turn through the, the tunnel there is D.R. DeRozan. <laughs> and it, it literally gave me a visible uh, shiver. But uh, anyway, we are going to stop here for today. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports and Radio Network. Make, for, make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Blake Murphy, producer and co-host Alex Wong, producer Derek Brandale, Jennifer Olnick, and David Sis, and J.R. Manitad for helping me behind the scenes. We'll be back tomorrow.